Welcome to this episode of the Elite Advisor Blueprint Podcast with your host, Brad Johnson. Brad's the VP of Advisor Development at Advisors Excel, the largest independent insurance brokerage company in the U.S. He's also a regular contributor to Investment News, The Wall Street Journal, and other industry publications. This episode is brought to you by Mobile Assistant. You know, it's crazy to me that nine times out of 10, when I ask a financial advisor if they use Mobile Assistant, they've never even heard of it. So if that's you, I'm about to change your life. After a day full of appointments, who has the time or energy to sit down in front of your computer and type out all your notes to get them into your client database or CRM? I know I don't. Enter Mobile Assistant. I literally tap an app on my phone, speak my meeting notes into a voice recorder, and then tap submit. Within a few hours, my team and I have an email sitting in our inbox with all of the notes and action items to act on from the previous day's meetings. Even better, almost all of the big-name CRMs feed them directly into your database. Yes, it's that easy to keep your meeting notes systematized, archived, and most importantly, compliant. Just go to mobileassistant.us forward slash Brad to take advantage of a special 30-day free trial offer for all Elite Advisor Blueprint listeners. As an added bonus, use coupon code BRADBRAD for a 25% discount. My friend and mobile assistant co-founder, Corey, has guaranteed me you won't find a better deal anywhere. So to get started, check it out, mobileassistant.us forward slash Brad. In this episode, I have a great conversation with Michael Hyatt. He's a New York Times bestselling author, formerly CEO and chairman of Thomas Nelson, one of the largest book publishers in the country, and also was named a top 50 social media influencer by Forbes. So really to say the guy's accomplished would be an understatement, but we really dig in on goal setting in this conversation uh, with 2016 right around the corner. I couldn't think of a better topic to, to be covering, but Michael talks about some of the biggest reason people set goals and then fall short of them. He digs into his personal journey how he became a goal setter. Uh, One of my favorite parts, he talks about his morning routine and how that really gets his day started down the right path to help him achieve his goals he's laid out for the year. He digs in on how he utilizes Evernote as a simple framework to not only get his goals in writing, but also keep them visible throughout the year so he can get them checked off. Uh, Lastly, one of my favorite analogies he uses in the call is those times where you fall short of goals, how to make that not a demotivator, but he actually uses an analogy uh, where he compares that to the the baseball great Ted Williams and uh, his approach to baseball. So anyway, I hope you all enjoy this conversation. I had a lot of fun with it. As always, there's a lot of stuff discussed in the call. So any book recommendations, uh, links, articles discussed, you can find those in the show notes at bradj.net forward slash podcast. Also, a special offer he made to all the listeners, depending on when you listen to this, is the early bird offer for his goal-setting framework, Best Year Ever. So you can find that at the very top of the show notes uh, on the actual podcast section on the website. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Michael Hyatt. I just want to say super honored to have you on here today, Michael. Thanks, and, Brad. Anything, anything I missed in that intro, anything else that, that the uh, listeners and uh, the viewers today should know? Well, maybe the most important thing, um, I've been bar- married to my wife, Gail, for 37 years, and we have five grown daughters, four sons-in-law, and eight 
uh, grandchildren. So it's a full house. Enough to keep you super busy then, right? <laughs> That's right. Oh, and, and by the way, on, on that note, for everyone listening in, I, my third child has not been born yet. So Sarah is due Wednesday. And so I might, if my phone rings um, and I jet, you know why. I've got a good uh, excuse, right? So anyway, um, well, let's dig in, Michael. Um, okay. We've got uh, a presentation here. I know we're going to keep this more conversational, but uh, really the thought here is the 10 biggest mistakes people make in setting goals and what they can do to overcome those uh, with it being December and New Year's right around the corner, obviously a great time of year to be thinking about goals. So um, as we get into that, um, more on a personal level, I know sometimes just the topic of goal setting just kind of creates anxiety and, you know, everybody's like, oh, you know, that just seems overwhelming. So have you always been a goal setter? I'm just curious on a personal note. Have you always, like, did you start out as a sixth grader, start writing your notes down for the goals for the upcoming year? Can you tell us a little bit um, your journey into becoming a goal setter and what that looked like? Yeah, well, I didn't start in the sixth grade. Um, if I'd known the value of it back then, I probably would have. But I started in college. And I guess I realized that there was huge potential in designing your life and not just drifting. And I grew up in a in a home where... Um, I had a wonderful father, but frankly, he just drifted kind of through life without, you know, choosing his adventure or choosing the destination. And I saw some kind of things that were negative that happened, particularly as I got in junior high, where uh, he kind of drifted off the rails a bit. And it was a great disappointment uh, to me and to my family. And I talk more about that in the video series that I have out right now. But um, I started seeing the potential of what could happen if you actually are intentional and begin to decide what it is that you want, not just with your business, but in every area of your life. Like, what do you want for your health, your fitness level? What do you want for your marriage, for your relationship with your kids, for your friendships, for your finances, and obviously for your vocation, but even your uh, hobbies or your avocation? So I just think there's tremendous, tremendous power in goal setting. And by the way, that doesn't mean that you have to hit all your goals. In fact, the best goal setters I know um, barely uh, clear half their goals or make half their goals during the year. It's a little bit like baseball. You know, if you're batting 300, you're doing great. But if you don't set goals, you're very unlikely, I think, to end up where you're going to live a life of no regrets. You're going to end up uh, going off the rails at some point. Uh, so along those lines, um, I know really as we get into the framework, number one uh, kind of ties into that, the not drifting. So actually writing your goals down. Have you always written your goals down? And I know you're also a person that's invested in mentors uh, along the way, you know, whether that was when you were at Thomas Nelson or later on. What mentors maybe affected you on that front as far as the goal setting front? Yeah, well, I, um, I definitely have always written my goals down. You know, honestly, it started, Brad, initially with just kind of a bucket list. Uh, I was challenged in college to write a list of, you know, everything I wanted to do before I uh, got to the age of 75. And so I made a big, long list, and I ended up revising that about maybe about seven years ago. In fact, I took uh, all my kids and my wife on a vacation, and uh, we ended up creating a bucket list, and I revised mine. I had them create 100 things that they wanted to do before they were 75, and it was a blast. We had so much fun just talking about it. But those are more aspirations, not really goals. You know, goals have to have some specific attributes in order to be, uh, in my view, considered uh, as a goal. 
But uh, I, one of the mentors that I had that was incredibly valuable to me is the co-author of my next book, Living Forward, a guy named Daniel Harkavy, who runs a company called Building Champions, and you can find him at buildingchampions.com. But he has an executive coaching company, and he became my personal coach back in 2001 and was my coach for uh, more than a decade. And just an amazing guy, but we wrote everything down. And the reason for that is because thoughts disentangle themselves passing over the lips and through pencil tips. It's hard to get clarity if you don't write stuff down. Uh, there's something about the process of writing, and I'm a writer. You know, I write a blog. I've written eight books. Uh, so I'm writing all the time. But I've noticed that until I write it down, I usually don't have the clarity that I know that I'll get when I actually commit pen to paper. Makes sense. Um, so what, one of the tips just this year, being part of the mastermind group, um, I'd, I've always been somebody that's worked out, you know, playing sports through college. Um, but it kind of always revolved around, did I have a workout buddy, right? Mm. And um, so one of the things that you talk on a lot is having a morning routine. And just the fact that I incorporated that this year, I noticed a massive difference for me. Um, number one being no electronics in the morning. So what I used to do, I'd roll out of bed. Of course, everybody's got their phone right next to the bed. First thing, right into emails, right? And then yep. there's a 30 minute hour long uh, rabbit hole that you're in. And then the next thing you know, it's time to go to work, right? So um, it's interesting. I, I'd be interested to get your view on how does the morning routine, how important is that um, with goal setting? And how does that maybe feed in and uh, throw gas on that fire, for lack of a better term? Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, all of us fight this battle between the urgent and the important, and they're not the same, right? So uh, if we're not careful, we can let the tyranny, the urgent, crowd out the important. So we never get to that important stuff, like take, taking care of ourselves, whether it's with fitness or our spiritual life or our intellectual life. Um, you know, we don't do that unless we do it, at least for me, unless I do that first thing in the morning. The longer the day wears on, the less control I have over what happens. You know, I'm subject to interruptions. Everybody else is getting up. There's emails, there's phone calls, there's meetings and all the rest. But in those early hours, and I get up at 5 a.m., in those first few early hours is when I go through my uh, normal routine, my daily ritual, which includes my exercise, it includes some reading, some spiritual disciplines and all the rest. But it also includes reviewing my goals. So that's just one of the items on my daily ritual list that I do every day just to read the goal and ask myself the question, is there something that I can do today that would move the ball down the field on one of my major goals? And just having the visibility of the goal is hugely helpful to me. So, so um, it's been interesting. This, this, so this last year, I guess, for everybody listening in, um, I know a lot of you have been exposed to Darren Hardy, uh, living your best year ever. And I've used his framework uh, for goal setting. And then this last year, uh, used Michael's best year ever. And going back to the original thought of sometimes goal setting is a little bit overwhelming. That's one of the things that I really liked about your process. Mm. It wasn't. Um, Good. Which, which is a huge step because you actually do it. And um, so I, nothing against Darren's. Darren's is a great framework too. Yep. Very, very... Um, it's a lot of hours to get that thing up and running. And so can you speak just high level? Because one of the things I took from there was how you use Evernote 
And I know some of my tech savvy guys like, like Adam and Jason that are on here, they're, they're big Evernote fans, but um, can you speak to kind of that framework? Because you mentioned you, you get an update on your goals. So what does that look like high level just for everyone on the call? Yeah, well, one of the greatest dangers, and we can talk about this a little bit later, but one of the greatest dangers in goal setting is that you lose visibility of the goals, right? You know, we've all been through the drill where you write your goals down, and whether it's a long process or a short process, you look at them, you're maybe enthusiastic the first couple of weeks of the year, and then you file them away, and you don't look at them again, and then you wonder why you don't accomplish your goals. So I realized early on that visibility to your goals is a key component in execution. So I do a lot of things. You know, I have uh, screensavers with my uh, top 10 goals on it, and they just rotate throughout the day. But one of the things I do is I also have them all in Evernote. So for you geekier types, and I won't get too geeky here, but uh, I create a separate note for every goal. And I've got a template that I use inside of that uh, goal, which helps me identify, for example, the rationale. You know, connect really with the why, why that goal motivates me so that when I get in the messy middle and want to quit, I can remember why it is that I took on that goal to begin with, what was at stake, both if I achieved the goal and what was at stake if I didn't achieve the goal. Then I have some action steps and other resources linked to that. That's all in an Evernote note. Then what I do, and I don't look at that every day, okay? So that's kind of my planning document. Maybe about once a week or once a month, I'll look through that. But what I have is I have all of those summarized in an index note with a link to the full note. So in other words, I've got one note that has all 10 of my goals and it's got a hot link so that if I click on the goal, then I get it explodes into the big full-blown goal. And Evernote has a feature that if you highlight, for example, in my case, 10 notes and you, I can't remember what it's called, but you right click on it and then it says, uh, you know, you can create an index note and it just, boom, just creates that um, all at once. And so that's what I review every day. Well, that's good to know because I did it the hard way. I just had to. <laughs> I know I did it the hard way too the first time. And one of my buddies from Evernote called and said, uh, in fact, I wrote this on my blog and I explained how I did it the hard way. And he said, you know, we basically have that in one click. And I was like, oh, gee, okay. <laughs> nice. Well, that's, that's about <laughs> you right there. Um, so you had a book recommendation uh, on the presentation here for uh, actually writing things down. If you want to Oh, and by the way, I know everybody's probably scribbling notes as we go through this. I'm going to drop an email out following the call. Uh, think of it as show notes. So any book recommendation, app recommendations, uh, things. Actually, if you've got any blog posts you mentioned throughout the call here, Michael, if you want to just shoot those over, I'll make those available. Great. Viewing. Okay. Um, so you had a book recommendation as far as the writing things down and getting them done. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. Can I just say one thing before we get to that? Sure. And I promise I'll get to it. I got to tell you about this study uh, because I've always felt like writing goals down was important. And a lot of people say, well, I don't need to write them down. I know what I want to accomplish. And maybe they keep them on the back of a napkin or they try to keep them in their head. Get this, Dr. Gail Matthews, who is a professor, psychology professor at Dominican University in California, did her own study that involved 267 participants. And one of the things that she discovered, and it's a kind of a seminal work on goal setting, but you have a 42% chance, more likely chance of achieving your goals just by writing them down. So in other words, she did a blind test with those who, who had written their goals down and those who didn't. And the ones that wrote their goals down were 42% more likely to achieve their goals just by writing them down. So there's huge value in writing your goals down. Now the book is called Write It Down, 
Make It Happen. And it's by Henriette Ann Klauser. And uh, as Brad said, he'll send that out to you, so don't worry about it. But you can find it at Amazon. Write it down. Make It Happen. That's the book that I had my wife and my kids read when we went on our Florida vacation and write, wrote our bucket list. It's just a very, very compelling book. Awesome. All right. So, and guys, don't forget here, we've got, uh, you have the next 45 minutes live Q&A. So anything goal setting related, uh, any of that stuff that's kind of going through your head right now, feed them to me. And the ones that make sense, I'll go ahead and I'll moderate that and, and get them over to Michael. So um, don't forget that at the bottom there. Um, okay. Number two, Michael, what's, uh, yeah, the number two mistake is creating too many goals, man. I've seen this done so many different ways. Some of you guys out there have cheated on this. I know. Uh, I remember I had somebody come to me one time and I had recommended five to seven goals, you know, as, as kind of a focus because of this truth, this ancient Chinese proverb that says, man who chases two rabbits catches neither. Well, you know, you don't have to keep it to two goals, but I do think that the more you get, the more goals you write down, the less likely you're going to achieve any of them because you just don't have the focus, the focus of your resources, the focus of your attention. Um, you're just not going to achieve them. But I've had guys that would come in, and uh, especially back when I was in the corporate world, and they would be very clever. They said, well, I got five to seven goal areas, and then they'd have, you know, five to seven goals under each one of those. I promise the likelihood of them achieving uh, any of those was very remote. It's just too overwhelming. It's too much to focus on. So I really do, just as a rule of th thumb, recommend that you have five to seven goals, but no more than 10. So like for this year, I had 10, but um, I think five to seven is the best. And that's because Psychologists tell us that it's difficult to keep anything in mind to keep our focus on more than about seven uh, things at one time. So that would be my recommendation. Okay, so my, my prompt here got a couple questions flowing. So uh, Jason down in Florida asks, uh, can you give an example of the specifics of one of your goals? Uh, I know you said to write it down. And how, do you, how specific do you get with it? And what do you review? Yeah, I get really specific. Um, in fact, we're going to get to this in one of the uh, mistakes that people make. But I get very specific in terms of, for example, like when I wrote my last book, Living Forward, I could have just said something like, write a book. But I got very specific. I wanted to write the, the Living Forward book, and I wanted to complete it by a specific time. So I put a deadline on it. But that kind of specificity is really important. Or, for example, a fitness goal. Uh, if I'm trying to lose weight, I have the exact pounds. Or this last year, I was trying to, to reach a certain uh, fat mass. And so that, having that specific goal uh, is crucial. And I write down the literal number that I'm pushing for. And by fat mass, lack of fat mass, right? Yes. I wasn't <laughs> trying to gain fat mass. I was trying to gain, uh, get a more lean body. So reduce my fat mass. Um, so, <laughs> and, and one thing... Uh, one thing, Jason, uh, Jason in Florida, because I know we've got a couple of you in here. Uh, one thing that I found super valuable to that Evernote framework that Michael's talking about is that next action step. So, you know, if it's writing that book, it might be uh, find somebody to write the book proposal for you, right? So just chunking yep. that thing down so it's not these big tasks that can some, get somewhat overwhelming. You can really just get to that next action step where they're, they're not as big as they seem, which is super valuable. 
Yeah, and that's one of the things too, Brad, you mentioned earlier that, that, that uh, my way of setting goals is not overwhelming. And here's the problem. A lot of guys, when they set goals, they create this elaborate, detailed action plan, which I do, by the way, highly recommend if you're building like a nuclear submarine or if you're adding an addition to your house or something that's more complicated. But for most of us, that becomes a very fancy way to procrastinate. So we develop these elaborate plans when really all we need to know is what's the next step I need to take to move this project forward. And usually you know exactly what that next step is. And if you take it, the path unfolds. So then you know what the next step is going to be and you start marching toward the goal. And that's really the secret for me for why, why I've achieved what I've achieved and why the people that I coach have achieved what they achieve is we don't get um, too obsessed with the action plan. We do take some action plans and some goals are different, but uh, we just don't get too obsessed with that. Makes sense. All right, on to mistake number three. Mistake this is one, by the way, that I know I make and or I've definitely made over, over my career, and I'm sure there's a few on here that have as well. Okay, so this one is only focusing, mistake number three, only focusing on one area of your life. And usually when people are used to doing goal setting, they focus on their vocation or they focus on the financial aspect of their life, but that's only one aspect. Uh, Brad, do you want to throw that little diagram up that I've got on slide 18? Can you um, do that? I, I will do my very, very best here. Just a second. I'm, I'm navigating a bunch of questions here. So um, I'll let you keep going and then okay. uh, let me see if I can do this here. Yeah, the, so the point is that there's this part of what I call the circle of being, which includes your spiritual life, your intellectual life, and your physical life. So these are kind of that part of your being that's the core of who you are, and who you are eventually manifests itself in everything else. But it's, it's critical to realize that your life is just more than, um, than your work. And so that's where it starts, the circle of being. But then in addition to that, there's also the circle of uh, relating. You know, your marriage, there you go, uh, the, the marital domain, the social domain, the parental domain. Maybe you're not married, maybe you're not a parent, that doesn't apply to you. But if you are, those areas are worthy of goal setting as well. Because one of the things I've, I've seen in corporate life especially is that nothing is done in isolation. You know, if you get sick, for example, if you don't take care of your health, you get out of shape, you have a heart attack, that's massively disruptive to your business, massively disruptive to your family. On the other hand, if you've ever known somebody going through a divorce, and I mean, it's a horrific experience, uh, incredibly disruptive to every area of their life. So all these things are interrelated, and all of them therefore require that we give some intention, and I believe set goals in these areas as well. And then there's uh, not only the circle of being, the circle of relating, but the circle of doing, which is this outward one, which is the vocational, the avocational, and the financial areas of uh, life. Usually, most of us, particularly if we're high achievers, don't have problems in those areas setting goals. It's more this stuff towards the middle of the bullseye that uh, bleeds out into those other areas and impacts them. So you want to set goals in these, in these other areas as well. So um, along those lines, I haven't had the chance to dig in on this yet, but didn't you just create an incredible tool that can kind of show you where you, where you rank as far as all of these different areas? 
Yeah, this, this is a, a tool that we launched two weeks ago that I'm super excited about. It's called the Life Score tool, and it's a self-assessment. You can find this, by the way, at michaelhyatt.com forward slash life score, all one word, life score. And what it does, it's an Excel spreadsheet, and it has you rank yourself in the 10 domains of life, and you give yourself a score of one to 12. And there's basically four quadrants in each domain, and it only takes about 10 minutes. I'm, I'm making it sound more complicated than it is. When you see it, it's intuitive. It's easy to do, but then you get a life score. And the whole premise behind it is you can't improve what you don't measure. Let me say that again. You can't improve what you don't measure. You guys probably teach this uh, with your clients. But I, it's it sounds very similar to marketing, what we talk about. So yeah, we're right along yeah. the lines. So it's, it's true. I mean, if, if you can't measure your fitness level or how you're doing in your marriage, I mean, I get that you're more than a number. Your marriage is more than a number. Your fitness is more than a number. But it's extremely helpful to reduce it to a number so that you can see if you're improving in that area. And that's what the life score assessment uh, does. It's basically a uh, prelude to goal setting as we move into this time of the year and start thinking about 2016. So I'm going to feed you a couple more questions here, Michael. Um, these two kind of overlap. So from Greg, when you don't complete a goal, how do you not let it become a negative? And from Jason, different Jason up in Washington, uh, Evernote fan Jason. So uh, after setting a goal last year, our team came up short. We had a great year but did not hit our goal. Not hitting our goal seemed to create a sense of disappointment. So kind of the, some overlap on that question there. How, how do you handle that? First of all, that's a great question. And I want to tell you what I learned from Dan Sullivan. Some of you guys may know him, but it's a concept of the gap or the gain. So here's the idea. Moving forward, you want or planning forward, you want to measure the gap where you are versus where you want to be. So all of us have a destination in some area of our life, and there's a gap between where we are and where we want to be. But when we get to the deadline for that, then we measure backwards. So plan forward, measure backwards. And now the question is not how far, far did we fall short of the goal, but how did we achieve versus where we were, so example, a year ago. So I'll give you a, a good example of this, Brad. Um, I have a website. This is a major source of income for me called Platform University. It's a membership website. We've got thousands of members that pay us a monthly fee on that. So we only open it for registration twice a year. And in our fall campaign, we had a big, hairy, audacious goal. And uh, everybody was absolutely fired up, convinced that we could make it. Well, the truth is we fell about 20% short. And it would have been really easy for everybody to be disappointed and for everybody to kind of uh, pull back when they thought about 20, 2016 and just say, gosh, you know, maybe we just should push for like a, you know, 5% improvement because that hurts when we didn't achieve what we achieved. So here's what I did. As the leader of the group, I said this. I said, first of all, let's acknowledge reality. We fell short of our goal. You know, we fell short by 20%. But I said, look at what we accomplished. And then I just started going through all the stuff that we'd accomplished since last year. First of all, it was our biggest registration ever. You know, we were ahead of last year by about 40%. I'm not convinced we would have got there if we had shot for a lesser goal. I made it as the leader okay. I said, look at the capability we developed. Look at what we learned in this process. Look at all the new tools we developed. Look at the experience that we gave for the people that joined. So it'll inform next year, 
but we celebrated uh, the, the fact that we had gained all this ground uh, against our goal, even though there was a gap. So it's your focus. So looking forward before the goal uh, is achieved, you want to plan forward and focus on the gap. How can you close it? But once the deadline passes, then you want to turn as a leader and focus on the gain. Otherwise, your people start getting scared. They start getting disappointed and they won't set big goals. My people, I promise you, after this exercise, everybody felt super empowered. They felt that it was safe to set big goals, even if we don't always achieve them. And I was just reviewing this week what happens in Major League Baseball. So if you bat 300, it means that for 10 times you get up to bat, you hit the ball three times, right? 30%. The best baseball player with the highest batting average in history was Ted Williams in 1941. He had a .406 batting average, which meant that it was about a 40%. And everybody thinks of him as a superhero. So 60% of the time he got up to bat, he didn't hit the ball. So I think we've got to take a page out of that as goal setters and realize that if we're going to be high achievers, if we're going to really shoot for big goals that are meaningful, that move the needle, that really make something happen, we're going to miss a lot of those goals. But if we measure the gain, we're a lot further ahead than if we had not taken uh, that step to begin with. Does that make sense? Very, very much so. Very good advice. Um, and I'll, I'll just share... Uh, something that I was exposed to this year, um, speaking to kind of the, what you don't want to do is lead your team and then, oh, we missed it this year and everybody goes depressed into next year. So, so going back to the Dan Sullivan reference that you used, Michael. Um, so Dan's got this 10 times mindset mentality, right? So right. I'm doing a million dollar of revenue this year, rather than looking at a 30 or 40% gain, what would I have to do? How would my business have to evolve and change if I was going to do 10 million? right? Very, very big differences, scaling and, and systems and things like that. So along that same front, um, so Joel, one of the guys that does some coaching for us, one of our advisors, uh, take that in reverse. So that, uh, think back. So if you, the, the year you did a million dollars of revenue, for example, think back to the year that you did a hundred thousand of revenue and think about how different your team was, how different your process was, mm. how different your marketing was. And I think sometimes as achievers, all we focus on is what's next, going back to that gap, how, you know, where's that little bit that I fell short, as opposed to, oh my gosh, the last four or five years, my business has just been revolutionized and I've grown like crazy, right? So it's just, it's kind of that mindset that you've got to work on a little bit sometimes on that front. Absolutely, yep. Okay, so let's dig into mistake number four, which I think answers a previous question here. It does. It's a, mistake number four is people don't make their goals specific enough. And you got to get the specificity. For example, instead of just saying, and I gave this example earlier, write a book, a more specific goal would be to finish, in my case, the Living Forward manuscript. Or another example, instead of saying, as one of my goals for this next year, I'm a photographer, amateur photographer, learn photography. I mean, that's broad and general and who's to say when you learn it. I could have something really simple and specific like complete lynda.com's photography 101 course. So that's the kind of specificity you need. It's fine to have a general aspiration like I want to lose weight, but how much weight do you want to lose? You know, if you want to say, well, I want to, I want to learn, lose fat and gain lean muscle mass, how much? You know, make it specific. It increases the likelihood of you actually achieving it. So that, that leads into mistake number five, uh, which is? 
which is they don't make the goal measurable. And again, let's just give the example, instead of just lose weight, how about lose 35 pounds? I had uh, one guy that went through my best year ever course this last year and lost 75 pounds. I've had lots of people lose this much weight. It's totally possible. Or here's another one. You guys see this all the time in your practice, I'm sure. Somebody has a client or has a goal of earning more money. You know, well, what about, how much more money? You know, do you want to double your income? Do you want to get, you know, 20% better return? Uh, or maybe just convince your boss to give you a 10% raise. You know, what is it? Get specific and make it measurable. So, so along those lines, I'm going to throw an example out there that maybe relates to uh, the advisors on the call here. Well, what I see a lot on in my chair is we did $10 million of assets this year. Next year, I want to do 15. And so it, it is specific, but it's a very big, broad goal, right? And it's how do you get there? And so a lot of times guys will get, a few months in the year, they're not pacing for that 15 million that they laid out. So, oh shoot, you know, do we readjust? Do we all get upset and depressed? What do we do? So one thing I challenge everyone on the call to, where I've really seen advisors to be able to break that down to an actionable, a weekly actionable item, is you did $10 million, $10 million of assets this year, okay? So now let's go back, how many clients was that that you acquired this year, right? So 10 million and let's say it was, 10 clients just to make math easy. So each, each client was a million dollar client. Well, now I'm going to 15. So all else being the same, rather than acquiring 10 clients this year, I need to acquire 15 this year. Right. And then break that down onto your calendar. So I, I need a client about a little over once a month. So I know those are big numbers. I wish we all, everyone on the call was dealing with, you know, 15 clients a year for 15 million. I know that's not the case, but, um, just breaking that down and what I, making it measurable and specific, but also um, not just measurable on really big numbers, but measurable on those action items that you're dealing with on a weekly basis. And, and that can be huge uh, on that front. So I figured I'd just share that example while we're on it. No, that's a, that's a great example. There's a lot of things that, that if you measure the process or the habit that it's going to require to, to deliver a bigger process, it's a much better focus, uh, much easier to manage in our minds and much easier to control. Okay, number six. Number six is they don't assign a due date. Now, some people hate due dates. Uh, a few people I've met love them, but let me give you three big benefits of deadlines. First of all, a deadline creates a sense of urgency. You know, I mentioned earlier, uh, Brad, that in our platform university we do, we open it for registration twice a year, and it's not available the rest of the year, and we have a deadline. Do you know that half of our sales come on the last day of open registration? I mean, it's just human nature, right? It creates a sense of urgency and people get to work and do whatever it is. If there's a sense of urgency, if there's no deadline, it's really easy for the work to just kind of continue to, uh, to move on. Uh, number two, they balance your workload. When you have a deadline, it balances your workload because hopefully you're going to be spreading your deadlines out. So they're not all coming due on one day, but it helps you to balance the workload. And then third, they help prioritize your daily tasks. So if you know you've got a deadline that's due, like I've got a, a webinar that I'm doing later this week, and I know that that's a huge priority for me to finish that, the slides up for that webinar uh, tomorrow. So it helps me to prioritize my daily task list. And it's as simple as this, and that's just putting a date beside the goal. So instead of just losing 35 pounds, 
lose 35 pounds by July the 31st. Or instead of convincing your boss to give you a 10% raise, then convince your boss to give you a 10% raise before April the 1st. So whatever it is, just adding a date to it. In fact, I think this is the main thing that separates an aspiration, nothing wrong with aspirations, but it's not a goal unless it has a deadline. So I believe your, uh, all your sales coming in the last day because all the registrations come in about two hours before this, this call. Yeah, you were telling me that. <laughs> so, and, and for you, this could be a really cool tool. Um, so one thing that's interesting in our industry, Michael, a lot of it's direct mail based mm. as opposed to your industry, which is, you know, email based, list based. And um, so I got a very cool framework uh, from another big name out there. And he, prior to every webinar that he does, he does four drip emails, two hours, one hour, 15 minutes and go live or his basic yep. timeline. And it's amazing since we incorporated that. And I know we've had a few of you out there that are like, why do you send me so many emails? But the reason that I send you those before this call is, so you're on here. And uh, it's incredible how it works. So for those of you out there that haven't tried that, uh, for maybe some of your public events that you're doing, um, might be worth trying, you know, a week before, three days before. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Michael? Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. The other thing I think is that it helps if you tie something to the deadline, something bad happens uh, if they miss the deadline or something good happens, sometimes both. Um, you and I are involved using this Make Me application uh, and we have to work out three times a week and we're all part of this little group in my uh, inner circle group. And if you don't work out three times a week, there's a bad consequence. Well, it's actually a good consequence, but we have to give an amount that we've each pledged to charity if we miss the workout. So I, I think tying a reward or a punishment, so to speak, to the deadline is very helpful. I try to do the positive thing, but sometimes the negative thing works too. So the, on the uh, Make Me app, we didn't go the, this route this time, but maybe future, there's a, there's a public shaming uh, section. So maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll go that route and make sure everybody stays motivated. Um, yeah, the point is to use leverage, right? To create some leverage. So one of the things we do in our webinars uh, is that we give – um, we have a gift that we give to people for just showing up. So that gives them an incentive to show up. But on the other hand, uh, we also don't promise the replay if they don't show, show up. So, you know, there could be a negative consequence, there could be a positive one, but if you want to drive registrations or sales, I think having those kinds of incentives really help. And I'll tell you, in back in the day when we had Platform University open all the time, our sales were like a tenth of what they are today. It goes back to that deadline. Yep. So, so because a lot of this is segueing a little bit on the marketing, but this is a cool conversation. Uh, a lot of our guys do public events. So a one hour presentation, here's our firm, here's our story, here's what we do. Do you have any uh, pieces of advice for, for good value items that you've given for webinars that might be something that would apply to their live events? Yeah, you know, one of the things we do, and I can only apply what we do with our live webinars, and that is, you know, we give, a, we give a gift, usually a free digital download, but some valuable piece of content that solves a problem that they face. And we do that just for signing up. So we have a sign-up bonus. Then we have a show-up bonus that they get. And then in our case, we have something we call a stay-on bonus uh, because we know we have higher conversions if people show up to the live event than if they don't. They're still going to be in our email drip sequence. But the likelihood of them converting is, you know, about 40% uh, of what it is if they show up live to the event. Because in the live event, I'm going to be addressing them, 
personally engaging them. There's all the trust and all that kind of stuff. But a lot of times people will stay on for a few minutes and they're not, uh, they don't stay on till the end. I mean, obviously it's got to be a compelling presentation. It's got to be engaging. But if there's some juicy something that they're going to get for showing up or staying on till the end, that's helpful too. Then I'll tell you another one. We actually have a fourth bonus, which is a fast action bonus. So if they buy before the end of the webinar, then they get some kind of discount or some kind of other freebie that uh, incentivizes that kinds of behavior. Because it's, it's, again, we know that if they get off the webinar and they haven't bought, they're going to probably walk into a meeting. They're going to take a phone call. They're going to forget. They're not going to uh, be as likely to buy. They're going to be the most motivated when they're on the webinar. So that was gold right there. Um, I, want, I want to make sure everybody on this call got it because I, as you're saying that, I'm just like, why is everyone not doing this with their live events? So, mm. because, because it's actually, it's very similar to a webinar. Um, you send out a piece it of direct mail, somebody calls you and says they want to show up at your event. So that would be your sign up bonus, right? So immediately yep. you would mail them something. We're so excited to see you. Uh, here's your bonus for signing up, right? And then your show up bonus would be, here's what you get once you get to the event. Make sure that's communicated in that sign up bonus. Here's what you right. get as soon as you walk in the door at the event, some other piece of value. And then your stay on bonus, I was thinking a few different things. That could actually be what they get if they sign up for an appointment to come into the office. Ah. Or the fast action bonus might be if they book the appointment at the event because some of our guys book appointments at the event and then yep. they'll do follow up calls. So that could be your fast action bonus if you actually book at the event versus later on. Love so that. That is gold. Um, obviously, it works. Um, so make sure, I'm sure everybody's wheels are turning on that. I know mine are. So uh, good. Thanks for sharing that. You bet. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, guys, don't forget questions. Uh, we've got about 20 minutes left here. Um, actually, I'm going to go to Brian. He just submitted a question. How would we drip market for a seminar uh, when direct mail is so expensive and takes a while to get in place? I'm not, I'm not sure I fully understand that, Brian. Can you add a little more context to that? Are you, if you're talking about the value pieces that, that Michael just, or the gifts, I, I should say, the sign-up bonuses, I think what you would do is say they register two weeks before your live event. As soon as they register, that's an outgoing mail piece direct to them because they registered. Um, but I think those actual bonuses would be on the original mail piece uh, that you send to invite them. Michael, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I just, um, I'm just curious why you guys use direct mail instead of email marketing and maybe use both. Um, we like to ex uh, market expensively. Is that a good answer? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, what's, what's crazy about that is there's a handful of advisors that have done some uh, email-based marketing. And I see, if, it all depends on the database and the list, as you know. Yeah. But those that have actually done a good job with their CRM and maintained a decent list, you can drive two, three, four, five live event registrations from just an email, which, you know, cost you the click of a button, essentially. So more people should be doing it as the answer. Well, I wonder even if you could do a hybrid system where your initial mailing was direct mail, but once they registered, then you've got their email and then the communication after that. So it's not so expensive. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not reminding them of the show up bonus with another direct mail piece, but that could all be done uh, with email, you know, following that, that first direct mail contact. Good point. Um, 
Ricky asks a question, uh, what are we sending them in the mail after the registration? So going back to the sign-up bonuses, what are, some, what are some cool ones you've done that are kind of in your world and how would those maybe apply to our world? Some different sign-up bonuses that have been popular. Um, well, usually, like for example, with Platform University, we're helping people build online platforms and get visibility for their message or their brand or their firm or whatever. And so it may be something as simple as, uh, you know, five mistakes you're making on your website and how to overcome them. You know, some, something that creates intrigue, that has a promise that it's going to be quick. We want to give them a quick win. You know, something that, that they want to have in order to do that. So like, for example, um, uh, another one that we've done also like on a blogging course uh, that I've got is something that uh, gives them uh, kind of a blueprint or an anatomy of a blog post. And it promises to save them a huge amount of time just by having this framework that they can use. So anything that, that makes it easier, cheaper, faster, that's what people respond to. Easier, cheaper, faster. It could be a resource list. It could be a cheat sheet. But I like digital content like that because it costs me pretty close to zero to produce it. Mm -hmm. Okay, mistake number seven. Okay, mistake number seven is they don't keep their goals visible. We talked about this a little bit at the very beginning, but you don't want to be make the mistake of framing up your goals, getting really excited, and then stuffing them in your desk drawer and never looking at them again or filing them away and never, never looking at them. So this is where you might want to create, for example, a vision board. Or uh, let me just grab mine here. These are actually on my wall. So I have my 2015 goals where I see them first thing every morning. I've also got a series of screensavers where I had one of my daughters just create these images, uh, one that, that had one per goal and then some inspiring picture, like the one that was for my uh, fat loss program. You know, I had some guy off the cover of uh, one fitness magazine who had a six pack like I wanted and I'm still pursuing. I'm really good at the one pack. I've got that one down. But uh, uh, So, you know, just anything that's inspiring like that, that keeps these goals visible. Even the Evernote thing that I mentioned earlier, putting all those in an index so that you can review them every day and make that a part of your daily routine, preferably your morning routine, so that you don't lose visibility. Because if you lose visibility, you're not going to achieve your goals. But if you can keep them in front of you and keep reminding yourself of this big picture, you have a much less chance of getting distracted and pulled into all this stuff uh, that keeps you busy but unproductive. All right, so let's keep rolling here. We've got about 15 minutes and I've got some fun questions here at the end if we can get to them. Um, all right. Number eight. Okay, number eight is they don't stretch outside their comfort zone. Okay, this is so important, Brad. Because I see so many people, man, I used to see this in corporate America like crazy. You know, people would set a goal, and in my world, the publishing world, which is a very traditional uh, world where there's not a lot of growth, you know, they make a goal and they set it for like 3% growth. And you say, well, does that make you uncomfortable? No, no, that's a slam dunk. We can do that. Well, that's exactly the kind of goal you don't want to set because it's not compelling. And the thing that I look for is three negative emotions that indicate that I'm on the right path. This indicates that you've moved out of the comfort zone into the discomfort zone, which is where all the important stuff happens. You know, the answer to your prayers, 
the fulfillment of your dreams, all of that is in the discomfort zone, not in the comfort zone. So I look for these three indicators. First of all, I'm looking for fear. You know, if I feel a little bit of fear, like I'm afraid I might actually fail, that to me is a good indicator that I've moved into my discomfort zone. Another uh, negative emotion is uncertainty. If I don't know how to achieve it or accomplish it, that's great. That means that I'm on, a, on the edge of a breakthrough and I can actually do something that's worth uh, doing. You know, so I'm looking for that, that, that sense of uncertainty. You know, when you're talking about Dan Sullivan having that 10x goal, one of the reasons he says that you should have a big goal like that is because it forces innovation. If your goal doesn't force innovation, then it's just going to be the same old, same old. It's going to be incremental growth or maybe just staying flat. The third emotion I look for is doubt. You know, the sense that I'm not sure I've got what it takes. I'm not sure I've got the resources to pull this off. When I feel those three together, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, I'm pretty confident that I'm in the discomfort zone, and that's exactly where I want to be. Those are the kind of goals that, to me, are worth pursuing, the ones that make me uncomfortable. So uh, that's good to hear. That means my goal of writing a book this next year, I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm, right, I'm going down the right path because there's definitely fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Uh, Excellent. So Excellent. Good. Um, all right, so we're getting a few questions here. So Adam asks, uh, because the why behind a goal is so critical to achieving the goal, what wisdom can you share about discovering the why power to remain focused? Yeah, I really believe in this. In fact, in my course, Five Days to Your Best Year Ever, I spent an entire day, one of the, one of the sessions, five sessions in that course, but one of the sessions is to discover your why. And one of the things I encourage people to do is to ask what's at stake. For example, there was a time maybe about 15 years ago that uh, my wife and I went through a really rocky patch in our, our marriage. And I just sat down literally and said, why do I want to stay married to this woman? Now, it's very important to ask yourself the right question. Because if I had asked myself this question, I learned this from Tony Robbins. If you ask yourself the wrong question, your brain's like a computer and it'll spit forth, you know, all the wrong answers. So if I'd said, for example, why should I get a divorce? my brain would have dutifully served up a whole litany of reasons as to why that would make sense. But I said, why should I stay married to this woman? I actually blogged on this. But I wrote like 20 different reasons. And they were very compelling to me. I mean, honestly, I teared up as I was writing these. And I thought, there is so much at stake here, both positively and negatively. It opened up my heart, got me reconnected to the why, and I really started working on my marriage. And she, and she did too. We've been married 37 years. We've got a great marriage today. And we just didn't drift into it, but we were intentional about it. So I think that that question of what's at stake is critical. So, so that reminds me a lot. And I know a few of you have read this book, uh, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a, a story he tells in there about this buddy, since we're on the marriage topic, that uh, he, he was just always complaining about his wife every time they got together. And uh, he's like, your wife's awesome. I'm not even sure why she's married to you, right? And, <laughs> and so he challenged him to write a journal every single day. What's one thing that he loves about his wife that day? And it was just as he focused on what he actually loved as opposed to what drove him crazy. He said just the fact that he recognized it and focused on it changed, you know, everything about their yep. marriage. So it's, it's crazy how asking yourself the right question can do that. Um, okay, so uh, J Justin, we're going to 
I think you can answer this pretty quick. One thing I've gotten from you, Michael, when you've put out as much content as you have in your blogs, a lot of times you're like, oh yeah, I wrote a blog post on that. I think that's going to be the reply to this one. Um, how do you organize your Evernote? Um, do you have any just quick tips there on doing yeah, that? Yeah, let me, let me just uh, refer you to an article that I wrote and it's called How I Organize Evernote, a peek inside my personal system. And I do it not with notebooks, but with tags. And I explain exactly how I do it. And you can find this at michaelhyatt.com forward slash Evernote dash tags dot HTML. Brad will have this in the show notes. But just go to my site and search for Evernote and organize and you'll come right to it. Perfect. Um, okay, mistake number nine. Mistake number nine is they don't make their goals compelling. And this is the problem, by the way, of setting your goals inside your comfort zone. I mean, can you really get excited about one, two, 3% growth over next year? I, I don't think so. I mean, I get jazzed. My business has grown 100% each year for the last four years. And that gets me fired up. I'm not sure I can sustain that level of growth, but I want something that forces innovation, something that's compelling. There's been a lot of research. I've got another blog post. I won't take time to look it up right now, but there's a blog post that if you'll uh, look on my site under goals and compelling, there's some research that's been done on this, but the likelihood of you achieving your goals if they're compelling is much greater than if they're small and easy to attain. So you want to have something that really gets you jazzed, that if you accomplished it, you'd be pumped about that result. All right, number 10. Number 10 is they don't identify the next action. And again, you know, I just want to say it's important to set goals, but it's not enough because eventually you've got to lace up your shoes and get on the trail. You've got to actually make something happen. It's all in the execution. So the goals are important, but you've got to execute. But as I said earlier, this does not require some kind of crazy detailed action plan. Usually it's as simple as identifying the next step. For example, Brad, in your situation about wanting to write a book this next year, are you pretty clear on what the next action is? Uh, I am. Uh, actually, Joel, your son-in-law helped me out quite a bit down that path. So I've identified uh, four to five potential writers uh, that will help me with a book proposal and, and get the first two chapters in the book. So great. That, that's where I'm at. Perfect. Okay, so here's an app that you can use for goal tracking that I like very much. It's called Strides, S-T-R-I-D-E-S. -E and Brad, you and I were talking about this before we got on. But uh, it allows you to track things like habits, uh, track milestones, progress toward a goal and all that. And you can find that. I don't have any uh, relationship with this company other than I like the app. But it's called stridesapp.com. That's the URL to find it. Uh, awesome, app. awesome tool, by the way. I just started using it uh, when you sent this presentation over. And uh, it combines both the, the front end, the goal setting, the what do you want to achieve with the daily actions and it'll even uh, pop up little reminders throughout the day where you check in whether you've got them done or not. So great tool. Good, good. Okay. So um, I know you put together a special offer for everyone on here. So I just want to talk about that. And then um, I want to throw you a few questions here. So um, going back to having a roadmap to achieve these goals, uh, you put together and agreed to kind of let everybody in on the early bird uh, for your goal setting framework. Can you just speak to your best year ever and how that works and, and what, they'll, what they can expect? 
Yeah, so I did this goal setting course called Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. It doesn't actually take five days, but the design is that you would take five days. This was my practice, has been my practice for years, but the five days between uh, Christmas and New Year's, actually seven days there, but take five of those days and spend one hour, 45 minutes to an hour a day doing some aspect of goal setting for 2016. Again, not just professional, but personal as well. So in each one of those sessions, I take you through some aspect of goal setting. Over 10,000 people have been through the course. We've had extraordinary results, but you can find out more at bestyearever.me. And uh, Brad's going to give you a link here in a little bit that'll give you access to three free videos, which I'm offering right now called Design Your Life. And the whole premise behind it is that you really can design a better life. I mean, think about it this way. What would this next year look like or have to look like if it was truly going to be your best year ever? What would it look like in terms of your own health and fitness? What would it look like in terms of your marriage or your most significant relationships? What would it look like in terms of your vocation, finances, all the rest? And so that's a free video series. And uh, Brad will send you the link to it. But that also then leads into the course where you can have an opportunity, as Brad said, to buy it at the uh, early bird discount rate, which is about 25% off the regular price. And by the way, for everybody on the call, that was, that was what I used this year. And I've had my best year ever um, from a, and I think, you know, all of us are on here for business purposes, but um, the balance of making sure that you're the dad, uh, the husband you want to be, um, that's, that's been huge over this last year. Um, so, uh, Let's throw a few questions at you. And oh, by the way, for everyone on the call, before you start running all over the place, Googling uh, like crazy, we're going to make this easy for you. We're going to send a recap email with all of the different tools shared on here, um, some quick links. So no worries. We'll make it as easy as possible for you. Um, so you're not, you know, sending all kinds of inquiries into Michael's blog about where these posts are. So, um, okay. So some fun questions. We'll just, we call this rapid fire, Michael. So, okay. Um, We'll go, you tell me when you got to stop. We've got a few minutes left here. I'm good. You hear the word successful. Who's the first person that pops into your mind and why? Yeah, well, the first person that popped into my head is Shalene Johnson. Now, Shalene's somebody that understands that you can't win at work unless you're also committed to succeeding at life. She's a uh, Beachbody fitness instructor, one of their top uh, people. But she and her husband, Brett, have a multi-million dollar business that they've built online. And she's just really committed to me, to, to all the, um, the things that I hold dear, you know, sort of full-orbed success, not just business success. And she walks her talk. Awesome. So I know you're not that big of a reader or anything, but uh, <clears throat> joke for everyone that, that's not aware. Uh, what's the favorite book that you've ever read and how did, imp how did it impact your life? Well, you know, the, the tough thing about that question is my favorite book is usually one of the most recent ones I've read because uh, it's fresh in my mind. But I'll give you a couple that I've read in this last year. Um, one of them that I've reread now for about the third time and I've given cases of this away is a book called The uh, War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And he's the guy, first of all, he's the guy that wrote The Legend of Bagger Vance, the novel. And this book is a brilliant book on just how to overcome something he calls the resistance and create an improvement in any area of your life, whether you're trying to write a book, 
whether you're trying to lose weight, whether you're trying to build a business. He talks about that and he kicks your butt. It's fantastic. And then another book uh, is a book that many of us read this last year, Brad, Essentialism by Greg McEwen. And it's basically the disciplined art of accomplishing more by doing less. Essentialism. Great book. Um, I haven't, haven't read War of Art, but Essentialism is great. Um, okay, this is a fun one. If you could start your career over and go back to 25-year-old Michael Hyatt and give him some words of wisdom, wisdom what, would you, what would you tell 25-year-old Michael? I'd say, dude, be a financial advisor. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would say, um, well, first of all, let me just say, I have a crazy work ethic. I work really hard, but I think I would have said to my 25-year-old self, don't be so driven in one area of your life without giving attention to the area, other areas of your life, like fitness and family, because eventually, if you don't give attention to those, they end up taking a whole lot more time when you've got to fix them because you didn't give incremental attention to them along the way. So it's almost like if, if you went to the gym every day and all you did was work out your right bicep and you have this huge bicep. And the rest of your body, you know, is uh, not keeping up with that. And I think that's how my, my life was. I spent so much time at work that I didn't give attention to those other areas. All right. Well, we are at the uh, one hour mark. And I know you're a guy that tends to, to work by a schedule. So I just want to say thank you so much, Michael. It's been an honor to have you on here. And I know you've got a tremendous amount of value to everyone listening in here. So thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day in Tennessee. Thanks so much. Great to be with you. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening. For more about the podcast or about the Elite Advisor Blueprint, be sure to visit bradj.net.